Father, we thank you for your everlasting faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father, that you are the God that never fails us. You are the God that never leaves us, that never forsakes us. And Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this evening. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that it is to gather together, to worship you, to pray, to praise. Lord, we pray, Lord, that all the worship and praise that we have sung and prayers that we have raised up this evening will be received into your throne room this evening, Lord. Lord, you said that you are there when two or three are gathered. Lord, there's more than two or three of us here this evening. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come right now and we pray a simple prayer. Open our hearts, speak to us, change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it's with a degree of trepidation, um, I have to say, um, this evening's sermon. I don't really know what's going to be said, um, and that's a bit scary um, in many respects. Um, I, I know the subject matter, but I don't really know much else. Um, really, all week, um, I've been wrestling to an extent with God and saying, what is it? What is it that you want to be said here? It's not what I want to say. Plenty of things I want to say, but this is not some kind of ranting podcast. This is the, the house of the Lord, and it's important, I feel, that we get what God wants to say to us. Um, and I think God is always a God who is never surprised by things that are going on in the world because he's already there. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the first, the last, the beginning and the end. And he knows everything. So nothing takes him by surprise. But it can sometimes take us by surprise. Um, and I know uh, certainly in, in my own life, um, I just simply uh, find that the more I lean on God, the more straight the path seems to be uh, in front of me. Um, who was here last Sunday morning by show of hands? A, good, a fairly good person, about just over 50%. Okay, fantastic. Um, so, because I was a bit concerned because God took me back to Psalm 103. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, but we've already preached on that. So, what's happening here? I don't want to just repeat the same sermon. That, that's, that's not right surely or is it right and God says no there's there, there's more there's more there's something and I'm thinking there's more I've been through that psalm I've meditated upon it so what is what is the more and I'm sort of sitting there and then I'm working through it during the week and I'm thinking okay right let's you know turn to different scriptures let's see what I think God is putting on my heart let's read different things different situations come up draws me to different scriptures I'm reading that and I'm just struggling to really study any of them. I'm struggling to really dig in deep. And Psalm 103 keeps uh, coming back to me. Now, forgive me, um, uh, I've forgotten who it was, but there was two people come up to me at the end of last Sunday morning sermon, and they said, one of them said, in fact, one of them was Scott, he said he had been reading Psalm 103 all week before last Sunday, uh, and that the Sunday morning sermon was confirmation that he was in the right place. And then there was another lady who, I can't remember, I don't think she's here, um, said to me that uh, she had Psalm 103 as her morning reading last Sunday morning, and that was confirmation as well. Well, I get confirmation twice that we should be in Psalm 103, actually probably three times. So Friday night, um, got to the prayer meeting, and um, uh, those of you that go to the Friday night prayer meeting, we normally start with a psalm, uh, and Linda was opening up the prayer meeting, and she says, has anyone got a psalm they want to share? No one seemed to have a particular psalm. She said, well, let's read Psalm 103. And it seemed and it transpired that quite a few that were there at the prayer meeting had been reading Psalm 103 at various points throughout the week. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, right, okay, all right, what's going on here, Lord? And then I just felt at the end of the prayer meeting that we needed to round up the prayer meeting by saying, uh, reading it through Psalm 103 again. Uh, and it was really, really quite weird because I, I went out um, to uh, a well-known chicken restaurant nearby here um, for a bit of food after the prayer meeting. And then when I got home, I'm so used to coming home from work and uh, then having to get a bit of food, whether it's just a small snack or whether it's a full meal. And I'm so used to sort of doing it. I got home and having had food, I'm just sort of, I literally stood in my living room. And I'm looking around going, oh, 
I mean, what else do we do with the rest of the hours of the day now? I mean, this was you know, sort of probably about half past nine or so. Uh, you know, there's probably about four or five hours before I'm going to go to bed. What, 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 what do I do with all this time? Now I don't need to eat any food. It's almost like eating is everything that fills our lives at times, right? But I'm sitting there and I spend some time uh, reading, and again, I'm struggling to get into any part of the word, any other part. And Psalm 103 comes, and I read it, and I'm thinking, right, okay. And I left it open, and in fact, this Bible was sitting open on my sofa until, uh, I think, this morning when I picked it up to come to church this morning, and it was sitting open at Psalm 103. And and it sat there, and I looked at it, and every time I walked past, I keep glancing at it, and I'm thinking, nope, don't think I'm getting anything more, can't see anything more here. And, 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 then, it, and then it just sort of um, came to me, and there were some points that came overnight, and Interestingly, with what's transpired in the Middle East, I, uh, we found ourselves in the middle of that prayer meeting. Uh, I had it on my heart, right, Stuart, Arthur always prays for Israel. He always makes a point. If no one else prays, he always prays. So make sure you pray for Israel. Make sure you raise up the Jewish people before God. Little did we know at that point on Friday night what was going to transpire a matter of hours afterwards, right? But we prayed, and the intensity of the prayer there, those who were there, I think it's fair to say the intensity of the prayer that was there that focused in on the government and the army of Israel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was leading us in our prayers. The God knew what was about to transpire. God knew. And so I'm sitting there, right, okay. And then I get home, and God says to me, he says, well, you, you, and this is before we know anything, it's Friday night, he says, I need you to consecrate some time before me. And I'm sitting there thinking, time? Tomorrow's Saturday. I'm going to get up and go to work, and we've got three or four functions to run in the evening. Uh, time. That is something I don't have. Uh, so what exactly is it? Um, and um, I get home. Of course, I woke up on Saturday morning with all of this chaos kicking off in Israel, and then uh, some of us gathered here at the church to pray, and some joined online as well. Um, and, of course, everything takes a fundamentally different turn, and it all starts to fall into place. Okay, God, I'm getting it now. You knew what was going to transpire. You were preparing our hearts. You were preparing our place. So the Psalms, as I said last week, there's something in the Psalms for every single one of us, in every single situation, in every single circumstance. Whatever you're going through in life, there's something in the Psalms for you. Right? You might be at a point in the life where you're in a bit of a valley and you're looking up at these huge great mountains and they're looking down on you and, and, and you, you're rather um, feeling rather small by them. I don't know if anyone's driven along the side of the road that goes up Loch Long. Very, very steep um, uh, mountains one side of the, on the other side of the lock and sheer cliffs just to the right of the road. There is nowhere else to go. If you try and go anywhere else, then you've got to hope your car is a bit of a chitty-chitty bang-bang and it's just going to suddenly the wheels come up and it turns into a boat, right? You can feel small in those circumstances. Maybe you're at a time in your life where you're in a blessing. Whatever it is, there's something in the Psalms there for us. David Pawson in Unlocking the Bible, you'll hear me quote him a lot because I love Unlocking the Bible. There's so much in there. Um, if you're looking either for a good book on how to understand bits of the Bible or you just need a new doorstop, then Unlocking the Bible is a great uh, resource there. Um, and he, he says uh, of Psalms, he says, it's no good just overanalyzing Psalms. You know, sometimes we can sit there and we can dig down and theologians can go into individual words and you can go back to what does the original Greek say and help us interpret and understand. And there's a place for that. But Psalms is generally not one of those places for that because they are prayers, they're songs of worship, they're, they're prayers of petition, they're songs of praise. And so what we need to do is we need to look at it as a whole rather than honing and zooming in on individual particular words. Yeah, you can look at particular words, but what does it say in the context of that sentence rather than what does it say in a wider context? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, in, in, in order to understand that, we need to meditate upon it. Meditation's everywhere in society, isn't it? But that's all, a lot of that meditation is, well, I, I, it's wrong. It's evil, because it's not meditating on the Word of God. Okay? We need to be careful, we need to be wise, just by way of a side note, to these schemes of deception that would have us empty our minds, only for the devil to be able to fill it with all of his muck and yuck. Okay. There's enough temptation, there's enough nonsense going on in the world without us taking an active decision to allow the devil to have place in our life. So we need to be careful to that. We need to be meditating upon the word. Psalm 111, uh, 111, 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we hide God's word in our heart? 
We meditate upon it daily. We read the word. And once we've read it, we read it over again. We get deep down into it. And Psalm 103 here uh, is a psalm of praise. It's a call to worship. It's got three sections. Um, It's really got kind of two sections, and the second section is divided into two. Um, But I like to look at it as as three sections. You've got the personal, which is the first kind of five or six verses. Um, And then there's the global, which encompasses people more generically, groups of people more widely. And then there's all of creation, which are the final few verses. And it shows us that no one, no one or no thing, nothing is left out of God's plan. He cares about every single little detail, whilst at the same time caring about the big detail. When I'm training managers at work, it's quite hard a lot of the time uh, to train them, um, especially when they're junior, and try to explain to them because it sounds contradictory. What I'm asking them to do is to focus really on the small details. So go up to the place settings on the table and are the knives and forks perfectly parallel with each other? Is each place setting exactly the same around the whole table? Is each table exactly the same as each other? And then at the same time, I'm asking them to zoom out and look after three of those functions simultaneously. How do you teach people to look at that small detail but then zoom out at the same time? And you see, the great thing with God is that he does that. He has the whole world in his palm of his hands, but he zooms right in to the intimate details of every single one of our lives to the point where, as we'll see in a bit, every hair on our head is numbered. Every single hair. You know, the hair's like stars, isn't it? The more you look at it, the more there just appears uh, to be. Um, and uh, we, we, we looked um, at this psalm, we took an exploration of it and a wander through. We spent a lot of time focusing on the first uh, six verses and those, those five benefits that he forgives, that he heals, that he redeems or saves us, that he crowns us and that he satisfies us. He gives us those five wonderful benefits. And we looked at blessings versus curses, both to bless and to curse call on supernatural powers to do something. Both of them do that, okay? One of them calls upon God, blessing, and one of them calls upon the devil or demonic powers, curses. One of them, blessing, is all about praising. That's what it means to bless, to praise. It's all about building up. Whereas cursing is about harm. It's about cutting down. It's about taking down. So why do we return to Psalm 103 here? Well, as I said, kept coming back. It was confirmed to me. God spoke to me in the middle of that prayer meeting on Friday night. Boom, there it is, Psalm 103. And from that moment, I didn't try and look at any other scriptures. I knew this was the scripture, but I still didn't know exactly what it was that God wanted to say. So in order to know why we return to the same psalm, we've got to ask some of these questions. Why was this psalm, as I said before, put before so many people before and after the sermon? Why was it impressed on their heart to read it before and after? Why is it stuck on people's minds? Why is it that the psalm was used to open and close the prayer meeting on Friday? And then this evening in the worship, I did not choose the songs this evening. I had nothing to do with it. Didn't even know what songs we were having until I saw the playlist and pressed play. Why did we have Bless the Lord, the 10,000 Reasons song? All about pouring out praise and blessing and lifting up and exalting God. It causes me to say, what is God wanting to say to us through this psalm? Something more, something slightly different. What is he wanting to say to us uh, through it? So, let's, if you've got a Bible, um, that's great. To, uh, you can turn to Psalm 103. Um, if not, it's up on the screen. Praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to ways he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God has got something more for us in this psalm. Maybe he's got something more for you. And he's already even pointing out one particular verse that just speaks right out to you. See, in this psalm is pretty much the entirety of the gospel. I didn't quite see it, all of it, before. I knew there was a lot. But the more and more I look at it, I see that this psalm has revival. It has new life. It has Christ himself. I can see the fullness of God in this psalm. This psalm is about prophecy. It's about looking forward. It's about looking upwards. The potential, the opportunity for a better life, a greater life than perhaps what we deserve. The psalmist, David, who wrote the psalm, is trying to raise us up above the circumstances in our life. Whether it's good circumstances or whether it's challenging circumstances, God wants your praise to be above those circumstances. It's not a case of, I'm going to praise God if I've got time, I'll wash the dishes and then I'll praise God. And if I happen to have less dishes or if there happens to have stuff stuck to the plate a bit less so it takes less time to complete it, then I'll have time to praise God. No, there can be no qualification on praising God. God demands our praise and worship regardless of the circumstances. And when we choose to put God above those circumstances, that, that's when he's glorified. That's when the circumstances will change. And I want to tell you this evening, if you are in a valley right now, if you're in a valley, if you're in a time of struggle in your life, if you're in a time of worry, if you're in a time of concern, put the praise of God above that circumstance. And you watch the worry dissipate. You watch the concern disappear. You watch the circumstances themselves totally transform and take a 180 degree. Because what the enemy meant for evil, folks, God will turn it around and make it for good. Praise the Lord that... He intervenes in our circumstances. He intervenes in our situations and he turns it around for his good. In this psalm is compassion, forgiveness, justice, mercy, grace, hope, new life. Looking back and remembering, yes, but looking forward in anticipation as well. We need to dare to believe the whole word of God on the implications for our lives with our whole heart and with all we have and all that we are. That word all is there quite a few times. I didn't count up how many times it's there in the psalm, but even just in the first verse, all that is within me, all his benefits. And then later on, I saw it at least a couple of other times. God is drawing us in towards that particular word. All encompass everything, nothing left out. God is calling for us in this hour to give of ourselves everything that we have to him. Ending half-heartedness. Wake up, feel good. Praise God, what a great day this is going to be. Wake up feeling not so good. Oh dear, going to struggle, pity old me, little old me. No, we're going to wake up and praise God above the circumstances. You see, look at Daniel. When the king was tricked into passing that law, Nebuchadnezzar was tricked into passing that law that meant that everyone had to, uh, the, the, the prayer to other gods was banned, Daniel carried on praying. He dared 
to rise above the circumstances. He dared to just carry on doing what he did. And even when we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Tabedigo, as I prefer to say, what do we find? We find that even when they're brought before the king and they're presented the opportunity at that point to bow down, they still refuse. They still to uh, disturb. Uh, they still decide to rise above the circumstances, ignoring essentially what is right in front of them and praise the God of Israel, Isaac, Jacob. Why? Because they knew that their God was permanent, and the temporary circumstances were just that—temporary. The king was temporary. Every earthly power is temporary. But God's kingdom is forevermore. God's kingdom goes on forevermore. And it is from everlasting to everlasting. And because of that, we can have this precious hope. Because of that, we can have this confidence. Maybe you find yourself being a bit of a part-time Christian. You know, some days you're really living it out and other days you're not. I was challenged on this a number of years ago in work. And, and there's this... Um, thing that a lot of the church has got caught up in, in a, a divide between sacred and secular. The idea that there's part of our lives that are sacred, i.e. for God and spiritual, and there's part of our lives that are secular, and that it's not so spiritual. So I work in a secular environment, so there's the idea that, okay, well, you know, that's it, 6 p.m., I can leave the hotel and I can come to church, now my spiritual life starts. But before that, in the hours before that, that's my secular life. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell, right? Because the Great Commission doesn't say go into all the nations between the hours of 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. It simply says go into all nations. So there can be no part of our life that is secular. There can be no part of our life where God takes a back seat. There can be no part of our life where we pretend uh, to, to, to not really be sold out for Christ. There can be no part of our life where we can afford for the light of Christ to be hidden under a bushel. The light of Christ needs to shine through each and every single one of us. Is that a challenge? It's a challenge to me first and foremost because I know that I don't live it out every day as much as I want to. But what if we looked at it differently and we started living our lives for Christ as if it was our last day? How would that change how you approach situations? How would that change a situation of driving along the road? I'm absolutely terrible when I drive along roads and when I go out to shopping centers. I despise shopping. I absolutely despise it. I, I get my whole weekly shopping in about 20 minutes and I spend another 20 minutes selecting cake for the week, right? And, and then I'm done and that's it. I'm out the place. And I get really, really frustrated when I happen to finish work a bit earlier or I've been so busy and I've missed the staff restaurant and consequently I need to get some food. I don't have suitable food ready at home. I've got to go shopping even more. I despise it. I absolutely hate it. I know some people, um, I'm not looking at any other ladies, uh, love shopping and they love to spend time shopping, uh, but I, I just can't stand it. And as if I don't hate that enough, what I really hate is bumping into someone in the shops that I know. So I just want to be in and out. I don't want to say, oh, hi, how are you? You know. Um, of course, most recently I was at a shopping center and I bumped into a colleague at work that I had had a fairly awkward email exchange the previous day. And of course now, what is this? Are we in work? Are we out of work? Are we talking about work? Are we not talking about work? Are we just going to sort of ignore the, the, the elephant in the room and whatever else? Basically, I had been asked to do something I didn't really want to do it, so I decided it wasn't as important as someone else thought it was, and then there was a bit of an argument that ensued. Um, uh, it's still not solved. Um, I'm just putting my foot down. I've just ignored it and hopes it goes away. We'll see what happens. I'll give you an update in a few months. But anyway, the point is, do we choose in that moment in time when someone comes into our path to see that as the opportunity for God to use us and speak through us into that person's life? Or are we saying, oh, no, my spiritual life doesn't commence for another 49 minutes. I'm on secular time just now. No. It's not like that. There is no such thing as a sacred, secular divide. So we've got to live our life for Christ as if it's our last day, as if it's our last chance, as if the chance that we get to meet someone that we bump into in the shops might be the last time we see them. I know a few years ago, um, I lost two friends 
um, in, in, the, in the same year. And uh, it hit me. It hit me quite hard. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not the sort of person that cries like a tap. I don't go for a box of Kleenex every day. Um, but this one really hit me. And I'll tell you why it hit me. is because each of these two people I had plenty of opportunities to share the gospel with. And it, and it suddenly hit me. I'm not sure if I really ever did properly. I did, but I'm not sure I did in explicit terms as much as I should have done. And in both those cases, I don't know whether they knew the Lord. And I felt guilty. I need to start living my life as if it's the last time that I meet that person, as if it's the last day for my life here. When we live out this word of God, when we choose to live out this word, it comes alive, it becomes part of it. It is a living and breathing and active document. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's not just some kind of historical record that historians use to record time. When we live out this word, it comes alive in us. So when we look at verse 13 in this psalm here, and it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What this is talking about is God's mercy. God's mercy on us. That God can't help but take pity on us because he loves us so much. Because he, he can't actually not have mercy. He could choose to do so, but he can't because of his love. Do you see the way around it is, yeah? Because he loves us, his mercy follows. Because it's part of his character. Where would we be? I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for God's mercy and grace. Verse 14 here. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I mentioned last week about this bit of dust. That's not belittling us. That's not just saying, oh, we're just dust. No, it's realizing the fragility of the human life. The fragility of the human life. A few months ago, a young lad, uh, 18 years old, died. He was working at the hotel, and he died in a, a quad bike accident whilst he was on holiday. And it, it stunned the entire hotel. Um, a lot of, quite a few of his family members are working at the hotel. He was a well-known local person as well. And it shocked the community. And it, it, you know, it shocked me as much as, as anyone. This was a young, at the time, 17-year-old that I had employed, given him his first job, trained him up. And then he had moved out of my department and gone to work in one of the bars. And it was, you know, for me, I was, I was so proud every day I saw him because I thought, hey, this is the lad that walked in and knew nothing. And now look at him. He's running half a shift in the bar and able to make cocktails and serve these guests and explain all the differences between different drinks and things. And then suddenly, boom, just like that, his life is cut out. And he's cut down. And this, you know, this whole phrase, tragic, and all these sort of words go around. Yeah, absolutely, it is tragic. But what did I do to share the gospel with him? You see, we're just like dust. In a sense that from dust we come and to dust we go. But our life goes on. Because from the moment of conception onwards, our life is an eternal thing. And we get to choose our destiny as to whether it's hell, which is the default because of sin. Or whether it's living in glory, eternal life with Christ. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. 16, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So we have got to live today like it's our last day. Because we don't know. God knows, but we don't. So why take a chance? Why take the chance and pretend that everything's going to be fine tomorrow. Because just as our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through all this turmoil and strife just now, 48 hours ago, they were partying. In fact, um, I have seen some horrific videos, which I will not describe in detail. Find them on the internet if you want to. There was a, a, some kind of party rave thing going on in, in the southern desert. Um, and apparently, from what I understand, it was all to do with... Israeli-Palestinian peace. And what happened was these paragliders of Hamas and the rockets 
landed straight into the middle of it, and they just started slaughtering people left, right, and center, and taking hostages and taking them off into Gaza. But there's videos of young girls being kidnapped and screaming and shrieking as they get carried away. I don't think any one of those people that went to that rave expected anything like that to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So let's not waste today. But verse 14 there is referring to that bit in Matthew 10.30 where it talks about having our every hair on our head numbered. He knows us better than we know ourselves, for he knows our frame. That's what that's saying. He knows our frame. And because he knows us so well, and because he knows us better than we know ourselves, then isn't he quite a good one to go to when we don't know what to do? Because you see, quite often when I was younger, I would go to my father, who I saw as someone who was wise and someone who had gone through situations and circumstances, and say, well, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? And I would seek counsel, right? I'm sure all of us will get various people in our lives that we seek counsel from. If you're married, it's normally yes, dear, if you're the husband, no? Um, but you, 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 you seek that counsel, don't you? You have that communion. You have that community. And even if it's outside of a marriage, outside of immediate family, there'll be friends, there'll be colleagues, there'll be people that we seek counsel, people that we think know us well enough so that they can speak into our lives. Well, Christ knows us. God knows us even better than any of those people put together. And whilst we talk about God's knowing us, we talk about verse 17 and 18, God's promise to us. He is reliable, for the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and there's the qualification at the end of that verse, on those who fear him. So if we follow God, then his love is on us everlasting to everlasting, forevermore, without end. It goes through the generation, it talks about children's children. His love seeps through generations. Verse 19, he rules over all. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's that word all again. Whatever evil is going on, whatever trial or tribulation you may find yourself in at any point in time, know that God is ruling in great power. He's above it all. And this is looking forward to what we read of in Revelation 21. The day when there will be no more tears. I'll read those few verses, 21, 4 to 6. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Without payment. Wow, it's a free gift. God is in control. He's in control. Take Comfort and solace knowing that God is in control. You see, we see everything in our society, our governments, our media, and all the various other corrupt organizations. It's all about seeking control. And the reason why they seek to control is because they are not in control. You see, we have two forces here that are diametrically opposed to each other, right? You have got God, who is sovereign, and he is in control. And because he's sovereign, and because he's in control, he doesn't need to be controlling. It's not in his character. He doesn't need to be, because he simply is the great I am. He simply is sovereign. He simply is in control. He simply is El Shaddai. He simply is Jehovah Rafi. He simply is Jehovah Jireh. He gives us that free will. He gives us the opportunity to decide, do we go God's way? Do we head headlong straight towards God? Or are we going to say, I know better. I know better. What is it? Savior, he can move the mountain. What Savior? I don't need a Savior. There is no mountain. 
rephrasing the, the words of the songs. Went through a few of those sort of songs last Sunday morning. So we've got God who is in control and doesn't need to be controlling because he is in control. Versus the forces of hell, the devil, who is not in control. And because he's not in control, he seeks to be in control. So what does he do to get in control? He controls. He tries to be controlling. So when you find people in a relationship where one is controlling the other, there's a demonic force at work there. That's not the force of God's love working in that relationship. When you find an overbearing government that is controlling its people, it's because they just want to exert that control. They want to be in control. It's a desperate attempt by a devil that is in a state of rigor mortis on his last throws of the dice, trying desperately to get what he cannot. And he knows he cannot, but he tries nevertheless. And we're caught up in the midst of this. We're caught up between choosing God or choosing the devil. And there's this spiritual war. Read more about that in Ephesians 6. And the more and more we realize that every single thing going on in our lives is a spiritual dimension. And it is spiritual primarily. As I have said, there is no distinction between sacred and secular in our lives. We are fundamentally spiritual beings. And because we are fundamentally spiritual beings, we cannot try to separate and put aside spiritual aspects of ourselves. Because God created us uniquely in his image as spiritual beings. With the potential to be in close communion with him. But it was blocked because of our sin. Made possible once again only because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. God doesn't need to try and do, do things and come up with schemes to get in control because he simply is in control. And I don't know about you, but when the storms of life come in and when there's great uncertainty, I take solace in the fact that my God, from everlasting to everlasting, is sovereign. That my God is reliable. That my God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That my God, because of that, can be relied on. I think it's significant that this psalm opens and closes with a call to praise God, to bless the Lord. It clearly is a point that the psalmist feels needs to be reiterated. And he reiterates it actually four times. Because it's the first two verses has blessed the Lord, bless the Lord. And the last two verses, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. It's almost as if all the other verses in between it, the other 18 verses in between it, can say what they say, but we need to get back round to the center of what is the point of what's being written here. We need to praise the Lord, put the praise of the Lord above the circumstances. first two verses call for us as individuals to bless the Lord. The last two verses call for all of creation to bless the Lord. So why, why do I think this Psalm 103 is, is for us just now? Well, I mean, put simply, it's a Psalm that was laid on my heart. And a word was preached last Sunday, that were, and it's a scripture that was already on other people's hearts. That's confirmation. And then since then, it's been laid upon various other people's hearts. And then we keep coming back around to it, and then God says, no, there's more in it. And I'm sure there's even more than what we've looked at this evening. But we are at a crossroads in society, yeah? We're at a crossroads where... There's so many things going on in, in life at the moment that it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be put down. It's easy to reach a point where you say, I'm not good enough. Oh, it's all just going to be the same. It's just going to be in an eternal decline. 
Folks, it does not have to be. You know why I know it's not going to be an eternal decline? Because God gives us that free will choice. And in order to have that free will choice, as evil rises up in society, so must too the church. So that at the end of days, not one man, woman, or child will be able to stand there and say, Ah, oh, but I didn't know there was an alternative. Everyone will be presented an opportunity. So don't believe the headlines when you hear about dwindling church attendance and the church being a thing of the past. Sure, there are churches where it's dwindling. Not here at Eastgate. We're growing. In the just over two years I've been here, this church has tripled in size. This church is bigger than it ever was. Why? Because God is doing a new thing here. Our Jean said that to me on the first Sunday that I ever came here. She introduced herself, as I'm sure she did to each and every one of you when it was your first Sunday here. And she said, and she, you know, she said, she said, um, she said, you know, Lord, oh, the Lord is doing something new here. He's doing a new thing. And I thought to myself, okay. And I've heard those sort of things before, but for some reason it stuck with me. And I sensed, yes, God is doing something new. God is doing something new through us in the body of Eastgate here. We're a unique church because we are, as I said, I think I said it on Friday night, we, we, in many respects, starting with myself, we're, we're a bit of an odd pat, patchwork of people from all different backgrounds and parts of society and life and different parts of the country. But God has drawn us together for such a time as this. And I praise God, I don't know about you, but I praise God that he's placed me here at this moment in time. Because right now, there's nowhere else that I want to be than being right here in the house of the Lord at Eastgate. Nowhere else. So we need to be built up at a time like this, not discouraged, because there's so many things that will cut us down. There's so many things that will discourage us. We need to be built up. And this sort of, this sort of psalm is the sort of psalm that builds us up. It encourages us. It reminds us of what God has done for, it, for us. But also, more importantly, when we look at it prophetically, it reminds us of what God is going to do for us. It reminds, of, it reminds us of his eternal and everlasting promises to us. We need to be distinctive from the world. Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We can't just continue to be ourselves and pretend to be something different. We have to undergo an inner transformation. We have to undergo an inner transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's an ongoing process. There's one point in your life where you will commit your life to Christ, where you will say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to declare you as my Lord and Savior. There is a single point in your life where that will happen. And if it hasn't happened yet, then I entreat you to take that decision this evening. But that process of sanctification is an ongoing process. That process of inner transformation is an ongoing process that we are all gradually being changed and transformed into Christ's likeness because of his glorious mercy and grace and his love that he showers on us. You know, as I was driving to work from this place yesterday in all that rain, um, and it was a bit sketchy at points as to whether we would get there, uh, and I'm looking at this rain, and it's just pouring down, and it's just totally relentless. You know, if you're driving through a shadow, a, a shadow? Driving through a shadow. Who drives through shadows? If you're driving through a shower, is what I meant to say, um, you can see the edge of the clouds, right? If you're driving along the road, you can, you, oh, there, there it is, right, 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 just put your foot down, you'll get through it a bit more type thing, right? Oh, yeah, no, you can see the edge coming up. Oh, I can see this one coming towards me, right? Same as if you're sitting in your house, you can see the cloud moving in. Yesterday, I don't know if anyone looked up at any point during the day, it was just the same color of gray across the place. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, what's going on here? We've got three major earthquakes going on almost at the same time in the world. We've got all these attacks going on in Israel, and then we've got major rain going on here. What's, what, what, what's going on here? So I thought about that, and I don't have anything more to say about that. It's just something to plop into the thought pool, Oop, just like that, and you can think about that more later. But I was looking at this rain, absolutely teeming it down. It was almost it's just like, when's it going to stop? Surely the cloud will empty in a minute. And then as I stood there, I, I was looking out, actually, I was at the, just outside one of the function suites at work because we were a bit concerned that uh, the back of the building might also become a bit of a lock view. 
Um, and, and we were very close to it flooding. We had to pump the water out, and it was all quite exciting. Um, and as I looked up, I'm thinking, surely the clouds will empty. Surely it will stop soon. And, it was all, and then it was almost as if God said to me, Stuart, think about this like my love. It just keeps showering down and down and down. And when you think that it's going to empty soon, it's just more and more. Because the closer that you get to God, the more and more that you find there's more and more of God to be had. The closer you get to Jesus, you find that there's more and more of Jesus to be had. The, clo- the more and more you fall in love with Jesus, the more and more love you find that there is that he can pour out on you. We need to be the church that offers hope to a lost and dying world. To people out on the streets who are wandering in darkness. And yet, Isaiah 9 that talks about the people wandering in darkness have seen a great light. Sadly, so many of our people have not seen that great light. Do you know one of the saddest things at the funeral of the young boy that died at the hotel uh, was there was probably about maybe just under 300 people at the funeral. The place was packed out. And I opened the order of service and I thought, oh, right, here we go. This is a classic. There was Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, and that was it. There was no other uh, hymns. Um, and most of the eulogies were read out by the minister. Such was the condition of, of, of devastation from the family members. They didn't even feel they could read it out. Understandable in the circumstances. But what really struck me, what really hit me, was not when the coffin came in, although that hit me a bit, but I felt an overwhelming sense of responsibility for the rest of the team that was there uh, with me at the funeral. But what really hit me was when the, the song of the Lord's My Shepherd started, and I started singing it, and you never quite know in these circumstances you know, how many people are going to sing and how many people are actually going to sing out. So I was singing what I thought was pretty quietly. And after about two seconds, I realized the only people singing in the entire hall was the minister and me. And the reason for that was because they didn't know a song that is extraordinarily common. And I thought until that day, the vast majority of people at least knew the tunes so they'd be able to hum along to it even if they didn't know the words. People sat there. They stood there in silence, not even attempting And it struck me. And I thought, okay. That's pretty hard. And then I went home. And when I got home that night, uh, and I I still remember it, it was a harrowing experience. I was standing in the landing, and I changed into my pajamas, and I was just going to go and brush my teeth and then go to bed. And I went to open the bathroom door, and I just could not open the bathroom door. I just broke down. And it wasn't because so much of a sadness about the passing of this young lad, Ryan. Yes, of course I was sad. I was deeply grieved. Still am to an extent. But I was absolutely devastated on behalf of the young people there. For whom it's not so much that they haven't even rejected God because they haven't even been presented an opportunity to choose him. Folks, that's the state that we've got to in society. The state we've got to in society is that we have assumed that everyone out there has heard of Jesus Christ. When the reality is, they have not. They've rejected God by default, but they've never actually been introduced to who he is. We need to be the church that offers hope to a lost and dying world that is currently totally hopeless. We need to continually bless the Lord in all circumstances, at all times, regardless of how hard it may be, regardless of how dangerous it may get to continue doing so. We must, for the sake of ourselves, praise God in every circumstance. And when we do, when we choose to put God and Christ first in our life, there is waiting for us in heaven a great reward of eternal life if but we would just choose to put him first with all that we are, not just part, not just on a Thursday morning, not just on a Wednesday afternoon, not just when it suits us, 
Not just when it feels like there's nothing else that we can be bothered to do. Not when we happen to have a window that opens up in the afternoon and someone cancels on us. We must bless the Lord at all times, in all circumstances, all the time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we ask, Father, that you would continue to speak to us through this psalm and the rest of your word indeed. Lord, whatever you are up to at the moment, whatever you're doing in our midst, we pray, Father, that you would cause us to lean on you, to focus in on you, to press in on you, to draw closer to you. Your word says that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us this evening. I pray that we would draw near to you this evening. I pray that you would fill us with a freshness and a newness of your Holy Spirit. Revive us, Lord God. We, 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 we regularly pray and we regularly cry out for revival. But Lord, we say this evening, Lord, revival starts with us. It starts with me. It starts in our hearts. So Lord, revive us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Take us back to the center of what it means to follow you. May we take up our cross every day and follow you. May we choose to bless you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you're going to do in our lives. We thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that your love is from everlasting to everlasting, that you have established your rule. And we thank you, Lord, as the nations rage, as wars and rumors of wars and various other chaos ensues. We thank you that we can lean on you, that we can rely on you, because you are the God who saves. You are the God who never fails. You are the God who remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And because of that, you are reliable. You're the most reliable source of information that we could hope for. Let us not put our hope in chariots, but let us put our hope in the Lord God Almighty. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come and fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Daily, top us up, Lord. Equip us for what we need in our walk with you in this hour, we pray. And we pray for us as a church here at Eastgate. Lord, would you raise us up, Lord. Raise us up for that great calling that you and commission that you've called us to. May we not be scared, may we not be put down by whatever's going on in society, but may we focus truly and solely on your calling to make disciples of all nations and teach them according to the things that you've already taught us. So, Father, we ask that you would bless us in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.